Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. I want to thank Bryce for teaching for me last week. I was um, gone for work, and each time I tell people, uh, you know, oh, where were you at? And I say the Cayman Islands, and, you know, they say, oh, wow, it must be hard to be, uh, to travel to the Cayman Islands. And I said, well, this, is, this was my life this week. I, I broke my toe, and uh, now I stubbed it on a chair as I was walking towards the ocean. So that, that is that part there. But I did break it, and that's no fun. And then uh, I, like, had this chunk out of my head. I bumped it underneath the wing of the airplane. I bumped it. I was like, oh, that hurt. And I looked down, and I was, like, bleeding. I was like, oh, goodness. So I didn't pass out. That was fine. So, but I just felt like that was... It's what I get for traveling overseas for, uh, for work, but anyway. Um, but he was able to teach for me, I appreciate that, on, on elders and leadership in the church. Um, next week I'm going to be gone as well, and uh, Nate Van Cleve is going to be teaching on missions. Uh, so talking through all of these aspects of what makes a healthy church, uh, just a quick review of the different things that we've talked about already. I want to give you guys an opportunity uh, to ask some questions. Uh, I think I was, I, th- I am very thankful for technology. So while I was down there, I was able to listen to Bryce's uh, lesson that he taught last week. And I got a real chuckle when he said, each week, each time I teach, I say, I'm going to give you time for uh, questions. And he's like, well, I'm going to be honest, I'm not going to give you time for questions. And I think that I usually start out a class that way too. Like, I think we're going to ask questions. And I realize I never give time for questions. So this is your opportunity. If you've got a question for anything, you can ask ask it. Uh, but re- real quickly, like w- week one, I talked about a church. We defined what a church is. We looked at churches, uh, or you know, what, how do we know what a church is? How do you define a church versus a small group versus just people getting together? Um, the second week, we talked about expositional preaching, and that is the point of the spear. Uh, that's, that is where what we do, what we believe, how we are as a church, that's, that's like where the beginning is. And all the rest of the church life flows from the pulpit, from what we're teaching in that expositional preaching. We talked about why expositional preaching is the, the, what we believe is most biblical and the best way to do that. Talked about sound doctrine the next week, which is what we believe throughout the church, what's happening in Sunday school, Bible studies, our different ministries, how we view nursery, the congregation, all of those things there. Evangelism, a healthy church is a church that views conversion as a work of the Lord and evangelism is the means in which God uh, brings people to himself, right? And it shares the gospel in all areas of the church. Then we talked about church membership. Churches must have membership. Membership that's formal, it's organized. We see that as biblical. That's a healthy church has membership because then we have church discipline and part of that formal, organized, regular walk of the church is working with others to please and to honor and glorify God. And because of that, we need discipline. Just like children need discipline, and we as children of God need discipline through him, the Lord disciplines his children. And so our church is healthy if we model that discipline in our everyday lives with one another. And then Bryce talked about elders and leadership, and we need a biblical leadership in our churches to be healthy 
We see that as eldership, as a group of men gifted by God to be under shepherds who lead as in a plurality. So that was my quick review. Any of those weeks, anything that came up, maybe it's even apart from that. Do you guys have any questions about that? Good. We've answered everything. Got it all nailed. I will tell you this. One of the things that came up when we, I was talking about membership, uh, somebody asked me this on the side, I made a comment um, that said that it, we don't see in Scripture where not, um, yeah, unbelievers are members of a church. Someone said, well, you see, there's a, there are instances where people are removed and, and they are said that they are unbelievers or there were heretics and things like that. This is true in the sense that they weren't believers, but maybe they were seen as members. Well, but that's because they weren't truthful. They weren't honest, you know. So maybe it was an intentional, maybe it was another. And I would believe that there are a lot of good Bible-believing, healthy churches that have members in name who are not believers. That's not, God didn't design it to be that way, and really they shouldn't be, right? And those examples we see in the scripture where they are removed or we talk, they talk about highlighting this person is not a believer, it's done that way because they shouldn't be, we shouldn't be treating them as a member or thinking of them as a member because they're not a believers. They are not believers, and so they can't be members of a church. So when I say we don't see biblical examples of unbelievers in, in the sense that you're not just seeing anybody that comes in this church and anybody can become a member no, that's not true. You have, one of the criteria that we talked about is that you have to be a believer first, you know, before we go any other step with that. So we got to understand that. Another question that was asked was when I talked about church discipline, and we talked about the, the three or four steps, right? So uh, step one is going one-on-one. We deal with sin. Step two is we bring two or three with us as witnesses to help work through that. If that doesn't get, so if nothing gets resolved, if it doesn't get resolved at step one, we move to step two. It doesn't get resolved in step two, we move to step three, which is tell it to the church. If they don't listen to the church, treat them as an unbeliever. This is tax collector and, um, uh, what's the other one? Anyway, uh, an unbeliever essentially is what that is. Um, so the question was, well, where do the elders get involved in that? Well, they can get involved in any step, but typically what happens um, there, actually, if you read that, and we read uh, what happens in, in Ma- uh, Matthew 18 and Luke, there's other examples. There isn't a point in 1 Corinthians as well. We don't see where it says, this is where elders get involved. Okay, at this point, get the elders involved. Well, obviously, the elders are involved in step three, obviously, because we, we, the elders are the ones that present that to the church. But hopefully, elders would have gotten involved at some point before that, um, we're going to need to get involved with that. So typically how that works, where that happens, is that in that step two, we may get involved at the beginning of step two. Someone may bring an elder as one of those two or three witnesses. It doesn't have to be that way. Um, we may get involved with that. Or usually, like I said, these are not just quick steps. Like I tell, my, tell someone their sin and they uh, say, well, I don't think that's sin. All right, we're going to step two right away. No, you may have a few conversations, may work through that. Same thing with step two. Typically in that step two, if you've brought others in and an elder was not involved, if that looks like we're not getting resolution, 
And the more we work with them, the more this person says no, 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 or whatever that may be, or they're digging their heels in. Elders then get involved in that step, and we're part of that step two, moving to the step three. Hopefully, it doesn't move to step three. You know, hopefully, we can get involved, we can help, and, and it gets resolved. So that's, the, that's how we, that operates here at Faith Bible Church with that. Yes, David Adams. I would say 99% of the time I tell that person to go to that person if they haven't dealt, dealt with it. If, they, if someone comes to me and says, hey, I'm having this issue, and I say, my usual response is, well, how, what was the response to you when you talked to them about that? And if they tell me I haven't talked to them about that, then that's what you need to do. That's Matthew 18. That's that step one. Now, there are times when it is unwise for them to go alone. So I may go with them. I may find someone else to go with them, just for whatever the reason may be, and I can give you examples. But I think most of the time, the, you know, I, we don't like conflict. So I'd rather someone else resolve the conflict for me than me do it. I don't want to do that. I don't like doing that. This is me personally. I don't like doing that. And <laughs> other people don't like that either, right? But it, that's, that is all part of that church discipline. It helps both of you to do that. So, yeah. Yeah, we might be aware of somebody that's in sin and we may direct them or someone else to go to them to, to resolve that where we're, we're not necessarily in help work through that, right? Help work through that. So that's right, yeah. And that's, and, and really, the reason we do that is, is because, I mean, there's only so many elders and we have a lot of people here and the body of Christ is there to help one another. And so we, we don't have to be involved in everything to resolve that. That's where I said, when I, was, uh, when, I, when I talk about that Matthew 18 process, one and two, that happens so often in the church that I, thankfully, I hardly know when it happens. Um, and that's a good thing, because I don't need to know that. Uh, or other elders, you know, just uh, we don't necessarily need to know each time that's happening. Um, that's just because that's operating the way it should be operating. You find out when it's not happening, when things blow up, you know, like, oh. And maybe that's because somebody has a hard heart, which we heard from a sermon about that. Other times it's because it, was on, it went so long unaddressed, right? And so there's a, those things can happen as well. A healthy church, that shouldn't, you don't want to see that happening very often when things blow up because people are involved and connected and understanding those things, so... Any other questions? Okay. In Luke 18, there's a parable about praying. And in that, verses 2 through 8, it says, He, this is Jesus, said in a certain city, this is the parable he's talking about, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in the city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For while he refused Oh, excuse me, for a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming to me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous says. 
And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Now, I I say all that because the interesting thing about that parable is how it begins. In verse 1, before he gives the parable, he says... Jesus says that he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and to not lose heart. Our sovereign God has ordained that our needs should be met in answer to prayer. He moves in our hearts and he invites us to ask for our needs. God Promises in Jeremiah 33, 3, call to me and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. Or when we say in the Lord's Prayer, our Father, we are calling to our sovereign, powerful, omnipresent, omniscient, infinite, personal God. With whom nothing is too difficult And nothing we bring to him does he not already know. So then the question is, why do we have difficulty in prayer? Why is it that as believers who follow God, who are saved, who recognize we are different new creations, we have new thoughts, new actions, new ways of living. We we have a hope and a future. We know God has a plan for us. All of these things. We have trouble, we have difficulty praying. So, I want some feedback from you. Why is it? Not the Sunday school answer, right? Not, not, I don't want the, well, it's sin. I know that. (laughs) Like, give me some specifics for you or your spouse, why they have difficulty praying, right? What is it on why we struggle? What are some obstacles that we have? Or what are things that keep us from praying? Mike? Guilt over sin. Yeah, we, have, we feel guilty over our sin. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, busyness. Get too busy. Or we think we're too busy. Say that again. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, like I've, I've got this. I don't really need help, right? Or uh, is that what you were saying? Yeah. Uh, struggle to stay focused when you're praying. Yeah, yeah. Start it, and then you're thinking about the grocery list. Not knowing how to pray or what to pray for. Those are excellent. Yeah. What else? Yeah, repetitive prayers. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Discouragement over unanswered prayers, right? I keep praying the same thing. Not necessarily the repetitiveness, but but I have a desire, Lord, and it's not answered. Or it's not answered the way I want, so I keep praying from the way I want, and it's not answered, so I I stop. Anything else? Yeah, Darren. Uh Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. 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 This is something that happens in the 
ether kind of a thing. And I need something to happen right now with this. And so, yeah, what do we... That's right, right. Yeah. I, I had thought, because you guys hit on most of the things I had thought about. I kind of had my list of what it was. On what, because I, I have the same struggles. These are the same things that I struggle with as well. Um, that I'm sure all of you were talking about somebody else. But I, you know, I have those things. And, uh, but I, prayer is one of these things that can happen at any time. Right? I could, I could just even be praying right now in my mind. And, you know, we, we could be doing that. And there's times when I do that. You know, I pray like as I'm walking or whatever. And yet, I struggle to do that. Right? It can happen at any moment. And so we still struggle to do that. It's interesting because prayer, it's like, what is prayer? Well, it's, it, but simply... Oh, I, I'm sorry, I got, I got sidetracked. So that, what, my, uh, what I was going to do was, because I have those struggles, I was, I was going to say, like, I was just going to take those and I was going to just respond to those. And I thought, nah, I'm not sure that's the best, thing, best way to do this because I think when, when we are thinking of, okay, uh, what makes a healthy church prayer, like a biblical understanding of prayer and practicing prayerfulness or practicing in prayer, um, we, I think we need to understand, well, what is it, to what makes that a part of a healthy church. Um, and so uh, today I'm going to talk a, uh, about like individual prayer, you as an individual praying, and then the public prayer, what, what happens here in other settings in front of other people. Um, and there's, there's a lot of overlap there that we're going to talk about. But prayer is simply, if we're just going to boil it down, it's talking to God. And it can be done alone um, it can be done in a small group. It can be done in a large group like this. Uh, like I said, it can be these unspoken thoughts. It can be in our minds. Um, and according to Romans 8, someone said this, like it might be time, um, there might be times where it's hard to put into words what it is. So we, we have these groanings. Says, you know, we, see, we read in Scripture about how the Holy Spirit understands our groanings. Speaks for us when we don't. We struggle um, to pray. The Bible. We see David. He he wrote like in songs. Like in the Psalms are our songs. Uh, we see that in other ways. We see Jonah in the belly of a fish praying. Jesus taught us that praying is the way that we love our enemies. He says we should talk to God on their behalf for their good. We should pray for them, and he modeled that by praying for his enemies um, while he was on the cross. Jesus did that while on the cross, praying for his enemies. God treasures the prayers of his people. I was at a conference once. It was outside, um, and it was in this huge, large field. There's thousands of people. It's like college-age students, right? And in this large field, um, it was... Uh, we camped out there, and then where we were meeting was kind of like in a bowl. It's just the way the, the earth was at this place. You know, it's kind of almost like a natural amphitheater kind of a thing, which was really neat. Um, and so in this, at one point during this conference, we're being led in, in corporate prayer. This was the first time I heard John Piper speak. He was at this conference, and he said that moment reminded him of Revelation 5, 8, and 8, 3, and 4. And in that, he quoted that scripture. And in that scripture, so we've got this bowl of all these people praying. And it says, And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp, and golden bowls full of incense, 
incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And then in in chapter 8, it says, And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense, because smoke goes up, right? With the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. You think about incense as a good smell. It's an enjoyable smell. You put that so that you can smell that and you see it go up. And that's how God sees our prayers as coming up, rising to him. Now, prayer isn't like tapping into some invisible cosmic force in the universe. It's, it's not going to some kind of weird ATM or some shallow meditation. It's, it is talking to the God of the universe, and it works because the God of the universe listens. If you think about it, Jesus taught his disciples. He said, Lord, teach us how to pray. We have the Lord's Prayer. He teaches them to pray for their daily bread. You look at how often that prayer has been answered in your life. Mark Dever in the Nine March book says that the sovereign God uses the means of our prayers to accomplish his purposes. We ask him to do only what he can do. And the Bible is filled with accounts of God hearing and answering the prayers of his people. We read again and again in Psalm 107 that they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. When Hannah was childless, she prayed. Jonah in the fish, he prayed. When the early Christians were facing persecution in Acts, they prayed. Moses, Gideon, Samuel, Solomon, Elijah, Cornelius, Paul, they all prayed. Supremely, Jesus Christ prayed. They all prayed when they wanted to communicate with God. They were not simply performing empty religious rituals. They wanted God to do something. So one of the things that we brought up was we pray for things and it seems like nothing happens. That our prayers are unheard. That God doesn't do what we want him to do. So we think about how long do we keep praying for the same things? Jesus taught his followers that we should never give up in prayer. I assume that he taught this precisely because he knew we would be tempted to stop praying when we don't get the answers that we want. You may be thinking, like I've thought before, I've tried this. Prayer doesn't work. I've prayed for these things. I've trusted for God to do them, and it it didn't work. So you think about this, okay, well, did the church in Jerusalem pray just once or for 15 minutes or half an hour? How long did Jonah pray when he was in the fish? Was it just for an hour or for a day? How long do you think Hannah prayed for a child? Days, months, years? Now, I don't say that flippantly. I don't say that to people when they say, you know, I've prayed for this. And they're like, well, you only pray 10 minutes? Right? But we, all, we don't always get what we ask for. And even if we do, sometimes we feel like we've earned that, right? Like, oh, you answered almost like that ATM. I pushed the button, you gave me what I wanted, and I'll take it. There we go. 
rather than we pray, if we prayed and God gave us what we wanted, that was God's will. We prayed in God's will. If we're praying, it's not God's will at this time for that to happen. If you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed, God's word holds out hope. You may be Jonah on that third day. You keep praying. Maybe the church praying for the twelfth but final hour. Maybe Hannah offering up her last prayer before God. Or you may be like Paul, who prayed and prayed and prayed to have that removed from his side, and it didn't get removed. He still praised God. We have a God who delights in hearing our hearts, and it is through praying that we experience so much of our relationship with God. You know, some, for some of us, the ship sailed, the time's passed, that loved one we prayed for has died, the day of opportunity is gone. We may no longer hope that God will change history, but we can continue to wait in hope because we know God's character and we know what he has done for us in Christ. We trust that he is good and that one day we will understand more fully what he has done, what he was doing and what he has done. And though we didn't see the answer to a specific prayer now, we we trust that the larger prayer of our life toward God will be fully answered in a way that is most satisfying to us. Friends, prayer is as necessary as it is talking to your husband or wife or to your parents, or to your children, if you want to have a relationship with them. It's necessary. Keep praying. Prayer without perseverance in prayer is in vain. When you understand prayer, you will know God better, and you will trust him more. I wanted to address that. Because that is a temptation to pray for something and not get a result that you're looking for, so we stop praying. And oftentimes I will talk with people that they stop praying for that, but really what ends up happening is they stop praying altogether. They lose hope. They stop trusting in the one who can answer the prayer that they want. But let me talk about this. I have, uh, what is it, seven items on there of prayer in the church and what makes a healthy church that prays, what are some of these things that we need to do? So number one, our public prayer life together as a church should grow out of our individual prayer lives. You see, when we see God's instruction in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 to pray without ceasing, that should encourage us to set time aside each day for prayer. Individually, when we have that time set aside to specifically pray, there should be the basic aspects in there, right? We should be praising God for who He is, thanking Him for what He has done, confessing our sins to Him, and then asking for His help to provide for what you or what others need to express our desires to Him. You know, an easy way to remember that is the acronym ACTS Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication. You know, we don't have everyone in here 
like in this room, stand up front and pray publicly. You know, we have opportunities for you to do that in our church-wide prayer nights. We occasionally have events or services where we give opportunity for people to pray. When we pray on a Sunday morning, there's one person up front doing the speaking, but those in the room, like you, are not there just to listen. It isn't your role to just go, okay, he's praying, I'm just going to listen to his prayer. Um, It's not like you're looking in and watching and going, okay, I acknowledge he has prayed. Prayer happened there. No, we are praying with them. Whoever it is up front, we are praying with them. You can take what you are praying at home for what you're praying at home and you can integrate it into your church life. You could consider taking the passage of Scripture that's going to be preached next next week um, and, and you can study it. And you can know what that is because on your bulletin, if you flip on the back, it has the, where you do um, sermon notes. And at the bottom, it tells you what scripture that's going to be preached next week. So you know, well, number one, you know we're going to be in 1 Samuel. Until like Christmas Day, Christmas Eve, we'll be, there'll be a Christmas service. But there, there are things there that we know that you can take that, you can study it. And then if you're studying that, then you can see how you can let that shape how you're praying for your families. Or individuals in the church, or in your circle, your neighbors. This can help you to pray for those you don't know well, and it will help you prepare your heart for the message that's going to be coming up. One of the things you can do is to consider to pray through our church directory. And you can find that on our website. We have some printed out there as well if you want that. We have families and we have individuals that are listed on there. Most everyone has a picture on there. Uh, we're working to rectify that so everybody, every picture is on there. But our elders, when we meet, uh, we meet once a month, and when we meet, we pray through the directory each time we meet. We don't go through the whole thing, but what we do is we take sections so that we pray for everyone in the church over time. Um, and we're aware and we try to be aware of anything, any specific issues, and we pray for those as well. But you could do the same thing. So if you look at our church directory, it's about eight pages, give or take. And on each page has about 32 families or individuals on there. So if you prayed during your normal prayer time, whatever that looks like, uh, in a day, if you prayed for five people or families a day during your prayer time, in a month, you would have prayed for everybody in our church. If we love each other like we're commanded to do, we're members here together, I'm, see, I'm sure that praying for each other should be included in that, right? And so if I am praying for people individually when I'm not in this event, in this setting, when I come to this setting, my mind has been on that outside of that, it's going to change the way that I interact and think about people while I'm here together, and you as well, not just it's all of us. Now, some of our practices in prayer will vary over time. And what I mean by that is, we have different times of prayer. Some folks are older and retired, and so they have the ability to meet different times of the day. Um, or the frequency of which they can meet is different from those with young families with different responsibilities. And there I'm talking about um, praying with other people. We've had prayer meetings that met in the morning or on a, Saturday, on a Saturday or we also have our quarterly church-wide prayer times. Those start around 
5. There are some folks that meet at times to pray for the persecuted church, for our missionaries. The point of this is that we don't just have one set time for public prayer. We want to take advantage of all the ways that we can get involved in prayer in, uh, throughout the church life. And each person hasn't, doesn't have to get involved in all or each of those, but we can take part in some of those things. Now, when prayers are happening in public, there are specific words that can be especially helpful in leading a church well in prayer. When someone prays up front, whatever the context, it's important that we recognize that it isn't our personal prayer, but those are with us are included. So we use words like we and us instead of I and, and me. Because we, tend to, we intend to speak to God not simply uh, for our uh, matters that concern us as individuals, but for matters that concern the church as a whole. Now, now listen to me. When I'm talking about public prayer, it isn't just who's praying from the pulpit or who's praying here in Sunday school. When we pray in a small group, that's what I mean by public. You know, there's a group of people and we're praying out loud together. Uh, in a ladies' Bible study, a men's discipleship group, our church-wide prayer night. So these things I'm talking about, that's what I'm saying is very helpful for us when we're, to use those words. Like I said, when, when somebody is praying, those with us in that group are not just there to listen, but they are to participate. In some churches... Whoever is praying publicly, when they get finished, everyone says amen. I always wondered, what does amen mean? Why do we say it? And some people say amen. When I was a kid, I always thought they were saying all men. And I was like, what, what is all men? Like, what, all men what? What are we doing? Like, what's the rest of that, right? Well, that amen or amen, however you say it, uh, that's the Hebrew word for this is true or I agree. So, Saying that out loud, after someone prays, that is in, I heard what you said, and I'm in agreement with that. I agree, we, we are together on that. And this is where we get to own what was said. Like, I'm owning that along with you. You said it, but I agree with it. To all that were, we're saying that the prayer wasn't just that person speaking it, but it, that was for me as well. And when we say amen, we agree with what was said. We are affirming that this is representing us to God. So we can use those types of words. There are different kinds of public prayer that help us as a local church. We have set times of prayer in our public service. I think if you've been to uh, any of our services for uh, a length of time, you recognize when those prayers are going to happen. We, we have a, a, a process that we typically follow on a Sunday morning, right? Uh, there's going to be, we're going to start the service with a prayer. We're going to end it with a prayer. There's going to be a, a couple of others throughout that service that are going to happen. These are planned. It's the way we do that. And, and so you, you'll know that. But there are other opportunities for a spontaneous prayer. Someone may give a request um, or uh, make a statement during a class, and you just take a time to stop and, and pray about that at that moment. Or we can have events like our churchwide prayer, where we just say, here's 
something to pray about. Here's a heading, an item. Let's pray about this. And then how people feel led to pray may just pop up. We call it sometimes we call that popcorn prayer, church-wide prayers like that, or Thanksgiving service can happen like that as well. Uh, there's different times that we do that. Prayer happens. We've got our quarterly prayer time. Uh, and we, one of the great things about that church prayer night where we sit together and we pray about all these different things, a lot of ground can be covered by a large group of people saying small prayers like that together. All of these different avenues give us, as the church, a time to be one with each other, unified in our time before the Lord. This is different than just fellowshipping in a small group or listening to a visiting missionary or sitting here on Sunday morning. These times of prayer align our hearts together and help to align our wills to God's will. Each time gives new characteristics to our time talking with God. One of the things I don't have in here, I don't think, is that when we hear other people pray, we can learn new ways to pray. Say new things to God. That I, I, There are things that I hear in someone pray that are not normally in my vernacular, not the ways I would pray things. But I hear that. And I, oh, that's a wonderful thing to say to God. I'm, I'm going to use that, or I'm going to start praying that way. It's all ways that we can talk and glorify God. Now, having specific elements present in different prayers is important. Okay, this is the praising God, confessing God, asking, confessing to God, asking God to help others and help us as a church. Talked about the Acts method. Um, you don't have to have all aspects of that each time you pray. It doesn't have to be in that order. Um, and sometimes I make a joke when I talk about the Acts method, you know, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. I think sometimes when people pray, it's just S, right? You know, it's just the, we're just asking God for things. And sometimes that's okay, right? We just, that's, we just need your help. God, we need your help, right? But we need to have the, all these aspects at some point in our prayer life in general. We need to cover all of those things. I think that's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, number six, prayer should characterize not only our public services, but also our elder meetings, our ministry meetings, our interpersonal re- interactions. It shouldn't be a surprise to you when someone tells you they've been praying for you. In our elder meetings, we begin and end with prayer. But it's not uncommon for us to reach a difficult situation in there and uh, a question's asked and we're not sure what to do and we stop and we pray about it. I can remember watching, uh, I was learning biblical counseling and we were sitting in, I'm watching, I don't know these people that are being counseled, I don't really know the counselor all that well, uh, but I'm learning this and the counselee, the person being counseled says something. It was kind of like, it's pretty shocking. Oh my goodness, what do we do with that? The person's like, what do I do with that? This happened in my life. And I, my first thought, I'm looking at the counselor going, what are you going to do with that? Because I have got no idea what to do. And the counselor kind of nodded his head, kind of the time of quiet, and he says, let's pray about that. It's like, oh, thank goodness. You know, so we take some time and pray. Been in counseling situations where things get pretty heated. Like I can tell, like, oh, things are heated. It's like, Let's take some time and pray about this. 
I think like, not, it's not just to calm things down, right? That can do that. But, but really, it's like, Lord, we need your help. This is, this is beyond what we can do here. We need you to help us in this. So that happens in our elder meetings. It happens in counseling. There, it is not just in public meetings that prayer is happening. It should be characterizing all kinds of things in our, the, world, the, the, the life of the church. Our ministry teams are praying. I love it. Every so often, I'll, church ends, everyone says amen, you get up, and then it gets real loud because, you know, there's fellowship, everyone's talking. And as I'm walking out, you know, I see like four people over here, like huddled up, they're praying for somebody for whatever reason, right? Like, I'd love to see that. Prayer should be in all that we do here at FBC. Number seven, we should have a regularly scheduled all-church time of prayer and expect members to attend. I know. I know. We have a church-wide prayer night that we do once a quarter. One of the things we've done, we've changed some things about that. We, we meet before a dinner time. And we have just one hour of dedicated prayer. And then we have that meal. Listen to this quote from Charles Spurgeon. If a church is to be what it ought to be for the purposes of God, we must train it in the holy art of prayer. Churches without prayer meetings are grievously common. Even if there were only one such, it would be one to weep over. In many churches, the prayer meeting is only the skeleton of a gathering. The form is kept up, but the people don't come. There's no interest, no power in connection with the meeting. Oh, my brothers, let it not be so with you. Do train the people to continually meet together for prayer. Rouse them to incessant supplication. There is a holy art in it. Study to show yourselves approved by the prayerfulness of your people. If you pray yourself, you will want them to pray with you. And when they begin to pray with you and for you and for the work of the Lord, they will want more prayer themselves and the appetite will grow. Believe me, if a church does not pray, it's dead. Instead of putting united prayer last, put it first. Everything will hinge upon the power of prayer in the church. We don't put a church-wide prayer night once a quarter on the calendar just so we can mark off, well, churches pray, so there's our, our list. The elders and the deacons are not the only ones who are serving this congregation. So many of you are serving and serving well. And I can't tell you the encouragement and how it lifts our spirits as leaders when we see many of you coming together to pray. Now, just like someone can pray up here and the rest of you are listening and taking part in that, not praying out loud, that church prayer night is that same way. Sometimes I think there's this expectation that I'm not going to the church prayer night because it's going to be forever and I'm going to be asked to pray this long, great prayer. I can't pray like so-and-so who prays up front. You don't have to. That is never an expectation. These can be short little sentences. That's it. But that is such an encouragement to everyone there as well, not just to the leadership. It is such an encouragement 
to all the people there to hear you praying for one another, to hear you praying for our missionaries, for evangelism, for the struggles and the trials that we're going through in our church. There are families that are hurting. There are families that are going through heavy things. We should be praying together. It is a great joy to be shoulder to shoulder with other people, lifting our requests before God, praising Him, thinking about how we can be praying for one another. I want to encourage you to come to our church-wide prayer nights. We have them on a Sunday evening. We try and get them, and we feed you, and it's free, and it's great. But it's not about the food. It's about that prayer time. It's about drawing us to closer to one another while growing us closer to God.